We were the first university in the world to be able to play back and mix Dolby Atmos, which is really a, was a really cool thing. And this is, again, in 2015, very early, uh, even in the whole lineage yeah. of Dolby Atmos. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to the Focusrite Pro podcast. This is the show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. My name is Dan Hughley, and I'm the U.S. Marketing Manager for Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. On this special bonus episode of the show, we're recording live from Sony Pictures during the Mix Sound for Film and TV event. On the show today, Ted White and Rich Nevins talk to Ron Romano, technology specialist at Belmont University in Nashville. They'll discuss bridging the gap between networking and pro audio, switching your studio between 5.1 and stereo between sessions, the new virtual patch bay, and a whole lot more. Before we get started today, I need to let you know that we ran into a slight technical error while recording this podcast in GarageBand, which you'll no doubt notice. We apologize for this unavoidable issue. It was due to software error and not the gear, I assure you. Let's get started. So, yeah, we'll just jump right into it. Ron, we had the, the, the privilege of coming out and filming you at Belmont and at Oceanway Nashville, uh, where you've been for some time, um, talking about audio over IP, talking about RedNet, Focusrite. Um, but to get it started, tell us a little bit about how you got into audio, where you're from originally, and how you made your way to Belmont. Sure. Um, I'll try and keep it as you know brief but informative as possible here. But uh, the story really begins like a lot of us in the business. I was just a a kid in high school that loved music and playing music, and uh, then I, you know, in the late '80s, realized that you could, you know, I was a guitar player that just wasn't good enough to play other people's stuff. So I made up my own, and uh, you know, to be straight about it, and. Um, I uh, got an eight-track cassette recorder and just started getting into it, well, as you know, kind of organically as possible. Well, I also grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, so all my friends who were in bands were like, "Hey, man, you've got an eight-track? Can you record us?" And of course, I was like, "Absolutely! How about a hundred bucks a day, and we'll do whatever you want to do?" And uh, so, so you know, did that a lot in the uh, early '90s, and of course, then the whole. Uh, uh, Tascam D88 and ADAT World came out and 8-bus console stuff, so I'm like, I'm going for this. And uh, in the 90s, I started to kind of made my studio more legitimate, and um, instead of just finding random garages to do it in, and we, we, uh, I rented a space above a music store, um, and we had the studio up there. So we had 24 tracks, and and I did that till about 2001, and. Uh, Pro Tools was just sort of coming in for us. I think I started on Pro Tools 3 and uh, and that. But by 2001, I had done it for about six or seven years. And, um, you know, uh, it was all I was doing was recording and engineering. I wasn't really making music anymore. And I sort of uh, missed that part of it. And, and uh, then I had a really interesting idea that I would get into kind of the other side of delivering music. And I started a custom audio video integration company and home automation company in 2001. So um, kind of 
just excited to move on to something different, I, uh, I went to the consumer side of things and, and uh, became a dealer for all kinds of great products. I was even a Genelec dealer for home theater because I loved Genelecs from my studio days and we put them in home theaters back in the early 2000s. So, so I spent uh, quite a bit of time um, doing home automation systems, home theater systems, early Crestron systems. And uh, that, and I just loved it. I uh, loved being around construction and, and integration and putting systems together. So I really did all the sales and design for the company. And then I had a team of installers that would go out and take care of it. And you know, we did uh, projects from uh, $10,000 to $250,000. It was just about anything in between. Um, but it was a lot of fun and really pretty good. I, I forgot to mention in the beginning, I was uh, from a town called Bourbon, Illinois, about an hour south of Chicago. So did all this in the Chicago area. And um, then as uh, the housing bubble burst, we were in, still in really good shape, but we could see the writing on the wall. I mean, we, I witnessed uh, home automation from selling people $2,000 touchscreens in the wall that didn't do anything until they were programmed and part of a big system. Then all of a sudden, iPhones come into play and we could see what was going to happen. Uh, luckily, we had done really well with that for a long time and, and that and, and saw it change and early Sonos systems started coming into play, which we loved and sold a lot of, but um, you didn't sell Sonos into $250,000 jobs anymore. It was uh, the job uh, values went down and, and that. So, I kind of was like, okay, this is cool. We had a great run, and we're we're healthy. Um, I was able to merge it into another company that was commercial, because we were doing commercial uh, systems as well, uh, integrating you know conference room systems, boardroom systems, education systems. So uh, this company uh, in my area bought bought me, and I worked for them for a few years, and. And then uh, one of my customers was a university, and this is how I made the transition in, into education. Um, they said, hey, now that you're not an entrepreneur, you're just working for somebody, why don't you come work for us and manage all of our audio video systems, including all the ones, of course, that you had done for us. So, so I did that. Uh, I moved to them, and uh, that was in 2012, 2013. And uh, then I had the idea with my wife. I said, you know, now that we don't uh, own a business, we could work anywhere. Why are we still here? We can find opportunities anywhere. So she kind of thought, well, but we do have everything set up here, and it's really good. We've got kids. So, and I did, couldn't disagree with that, you know? But nonetheless, my uh, recording demons came back to haunt me. <laughs> uh, so I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Um, how about, I see Blackbird down in Nashville is doing this like week-long thing that uh, you can come and you're going to work with Martina McBride for the week and Ken Scott is going to be the producer and uh, you, you, know, you just pay the money and you go and, and uh, I told my wife, I said, look, this will just get it out of my system. I never did a big project, you know, uh, I, I never got to do any big records. All my stuff was local band stuff that I'd ever done and, you know, I, I just, that'll kind of set it off for me. So, of course, we go to Nashville, and we spend the week there. And my wife and family came as well. And while I was at Blackbird, they just enjoyed the area. And uh, when we uh, when we were done, I said, "We got to move to Nashville." Uh, it, it, you know, it's it's it was just such a great experience, and uh, Nashville is such a great town. And um, so I got really lucky. I, I just started looking around, and and uh, of course, Belmont University. We all. 
most of us know that uh, we're really a premier music business and engineering school, audio engineering school, and uh, we, we live right on the top of Music Row, just all kinds of great stuff going there. So I just started looking at jobs there because I thought, well, I, I haven't, you know, I work in a university right now, and um, obviously if I'm going to try to move to another town, they're going to be like, oh, well, that's cool. He worked at university. Maybe he'll be interesting. And then that is kind of what worked out. But on top of that, they needed a tech for our College of Entertainment. And I thought, boy, all of the experience that I had will really apply to that. And, you know, from having a studio, as we all know, you know, my position was kind of an IT position. And it still is. I'm technically in the IT department. Um, but, uh, to be the IT guy for the College of Entertainment isn't just all about, you know, email and printers and things. It's like Pro Tools and Media Composer and, and of course, Dante Networks and all these great things. So, um, so I applied for the job and I actually got the job and we packed it all up and uh, moved down there. And it was really one of the greatest decisions that I've ever made. Um, been really lucky and I've gotten to meet great guys like all you guys and and uh, just my. My presence in the industry has been so much fun. So, anyway, that's the the story. Sorry, it was a little longer than I I, I thought I'd go. Right. But but uh, you so know. so you end up at Belmont, and what was it like when you first started there, and how did you get to redesigning and redeveloping the whole infrastructure? Pretty much, right? Is that correct? That, yeah, that, absolutely. That they you were know. using at the time for audio and video, right? Yeah, and you know what what happened was right as I came in March of 2015 we were building the new home of our college of my curb college of entertainment music business which uh was a, a 95 million dollar project and uh we had currently just lived sort of in the basement of the the music the music school or i'm sorry the business school at belmont we had some production studios down there and then the music business classes were sort of peppered through the business school and some of the rooms and um and that, but this building was coming online. Now, when I got there, all, of course, a $95 million project has a lot of planning, and that happened before me. But when I got there in March, um, they, uh, they said, my boss was like, well, there's your office. The guy that used to work here, he's been gone for six months, so you just dig through there and figure things out. And that building there's got to be ready for uh, fall semester in August, so go for it, you know? So that's, that's sort of what happened. And, and I was like, okay. Um, and that's why I kind of told the long story of my experience. I was fortunate that, you know, being in project management and systems and recording studios, it all sort of came into play because my first walk through the building uh, as it was being built, I mean, I'm just not going to lie. I was like, there's no way this is going to be done in four months. You, you know, I mean, it, and the construction crew is great. I mean, they were, they were brilliant. But, you know, when you walk through and there's still construction dust everywhere and, you know, they haven't even poured the floor in the theater and all that stuff and school's going to start um, in a few months, you're just like, holy cow. So I was like, well, I'm going to just figure out how to get this all done. And the interesting thing about it was is not only did it, um, uh, with this new building, our capacity of everything, like, doubled. We went from... Um, around 100 and some Mac computers in production spaces and this to over double that with the new building and, and you know um, it's a beautiful building it's yes thanks I mean to it takes a day to unbox 100 IMAX it's uh, it's it's a it's a big task so give us a quick rundown uh, of, of the, all the rooms that you built yeah you started you have all these little production spaces that existed 
but then just give them a quick uh, rundown of what you have there. So um, I'll start with, uh, in this building, it's a four-story building, and on our first floor, we've got our, uh, our marquee room, which is a 250-seat uh, Dolby Atmos uh, mixed stage. Uh, we've, we've based it around an Avid S5 Fusion uh, console, and it's a full Dante RedNet room um, with a Dolby RMU. We were the first university in the world to be able to play back and mix Dolby Atmos, which is really a, was a really cool thing. And this is, again, in 2015, very early, uh, even in the whole lineage yeah. of Dolby Atmos. Yeah. We had a lot of good insight for that, which is cool to have that come to campus. Uh, also, across the hall, we've got a 7-1 uh, room that's 50, 50 seats, and it's got a, another S5 Fusion in it. And, of course, it's all full Dante Focus right. Uh, but it's 7-1. We've also got a video production room on that floor that uh, is all of connect campus can be connected to to basketball games or other productions throughout the building. Um, the entire second floor is a dining hall for the campus. Uh, we've got 12 individual edit rooms so students can go in there and, and work on projects that they've been assigned. Uh, and then we have a full color correction suite uh, on the video side there. Going up to the fourth floor, We've got um, some more exciting stuff. We've got uh, a 7-1 mix room, but it's about a 12-seat classroom mix room, 7-1. It's based around an S5. I'm sorry, an S6 in that room, and it's, of course, full Dante and RedNet. Um, right next door is an ADR and Foley suite that uh, has a, a... It's cool because they learn that workflow in addition to uh, being able to use it kind of anywhere in the building. Uh, we got a great green screen uh, room up there. I apologize for the sample rate error that occurred in GarageBand. While I was dealing with this technical issue, Rich Nevins asked, with all of the options on the market, why did you choose RedNet and Audio over IP as your solution for Belmont? Additionally, since we're a teaching facility, we felt like this was really where things needed to go and we're going. And, and uh, you know, I, I have to give credit to uh, to some of the people that made those decisions prior to me getting there, like Michael Janis, our chair, and Wes Bulla, and uh, things like that. They, they really said, boy, we need to bring this. This is the, where it's going. And, and what's cool about it is, is, is since they made that decision, problems really became non-existent because it was just so easy. I mean, the RedNet stuff and the Dante network, it just does whatever we need it to do without much worry, and you know it just it our, brings our capabilities to whatever yeah. we've thrown at, and and that was kind of important because all we really knew, I think, when we put the building together is that we're putting RedNet in and using Dante Networks, but we never we just knew it was cool and new, you know. So now it's like as we've started putting things together, and if something needed to change, it was just so easy to change it. So was it? Based on just the ease of installation, or was it the fact that you actually needed to utilize the space and you know be able to obviously send or receive audio from any of the spaces within the building? Yeah, the, and because that, that was a big part, being able to send between rooms um, from floor to floor, those kinds of things, and and because we need to be able to teach that workflow and show that so when students go on to bigger facilities and things, they are they don't didn't just experience a one room production experience. It's like now they can maybe know what it's like to work in a multi-room facility and see how that can flow. And does that exist between students? Because, you know, what we found is education, audio over IP is really one of our biggest market segments in education for, for many years. 
um, and you know post-production and you know um, some of the music facilities have actually been coming on board as they're more comfortable with the technology but it, it had almost an immediate draw to the education market um, you know I, I think that's because um, number one we we need to you know do justice to the the, the students that we serve and and we saw it as a future emerging technology that was going to be big. Number two, I think, you know, value for what you spend for the products is always big in education. And, and gosh, you know, what that's a, just another reason I love the RedNet stuff is we look at it and it's like, okay, well, that'll solve this and a million other problems. And it wasn't really, uh, it didn't cost a fortune to do. You know, it's just priced right, it sounds great. And it does all kinds of things that we need it to do. So we love that stuff in education because budgets are, you know, what they are, and we got to deal within those. We need to get the most out of our money too. That came before integration with Oceanway Nashville. So this is obviously a different building to the existing Oceanway Nashville. Can you sort of explain what the tie-in is there? Yeah. So um, Oceanway Nashville uh, is a is a music row property that Belmont owns. It's commercially available. It's our only space that you can, you know, we do film scores there and big records and all kinds of stuff. It's a world-class studio, right? So we had a, a guy come to town that was uh, was a mixer from out here on the West Coast, and he wanted to be able to mix in our Studio B because he was moving to Nashville, and he really didn't want to bump back and forth. And he came to us and um, I had a meeting with him and Pat McMakin, who was the director of Ocean Way, and he kind of said, you know, I'd love to mix, but I need to mix in 5.1, and our Studio B is, of course, only a stereo room for music production. So additionally, the issue with this film and the timeline was that, okay, well, I'm going to come for a week, and I'm going to use the studio, and then i got to go do something else for a week or two weeks, and then I'm going to come for two days, and and work in the studio and it just some reason the project had to have these ins and outs and you know in the meantime we were like okay well we can we know we can put a bunch of gear in studio b and make it a five one room but when there's a band going to come in tomorrow and track a record we got to resetting the room we got to reset the room it's a big deal so there was various ideas additionally the mixer wanted to bring in his rig to mix on and then we would use ultimately the, the Mac Pro in the studio to, to record to. So the traditional film across two systems. So that threw another thing in there. So when we were talking, I was just like, man, the RedNet stuff in the Dante network is going to be what makes this flexible and easy to do and easy to swap the room back. So I sort of literally napkined out you know, a couple of uh, schematics of how this should flow because... The mixer wanted, of course, to run across, uh, stems across to the record rig, but he also wanted it to output to the Neve. We got a, a 96 input Neve VR in that room, and he just wanted all the all 96 tracks to go that. So really, he could just kind of just hit mute buttons, you know, on the tracks and just just kind of use it to group. And, and then he also brought in a, a, a D command so he could have that there. It was, it was We had a bunch of stuff going on for just this sort of temporary setup, but... So we built the racks, and um, we could, what was great is, is we spent one night putting it all together before it started, got everything going, which was, again, super easy once you get it all patched up and, and get your, uh, your preset made. And uh, everything worked great. Then the next day, he started. Things sounded great. It rolled right along. And once we got through that, I trained our client services guys at Oceanway, and they could swap Studio B 
from 5.1 mix to back to the, the, the system that it was for music production in about an hour and a half. And that works wow. for us. You yeah, know, we can, we, can, we can make it work. And, you know, it was just, uh, since it's all network-based, uh, the, the stuff across, you know, the Dante rigs, that was easy. Uh, we just L-code our analog stuff uh, up to the, to the console, and all they had to do is swap L-codes, roll the racks in, and, and connect across. And next thing you know, it's good because the patching's all remembered. It's there. Yeah. It's ready to go. And it was it was unbelievable, and I and I think we just sort of impressed everybody. The mixer was like, "This is fantastic," and um, it sounded great. And the, the the project went to the big screen. So I guess, you know, having uh, networked audio throughout the facility, and you've got these massive pipes that can deliver as many channels from any point to any point. One of the biggest issues has probably got to be really in just having the playback environment to be able to deal with anything from a single channel all the way from an immersive channel, immersive uh, you know, format. So how do you actually deal with that, being able to change spaces so quickly between you know, different formats? Yeah, I got you. Well, um, I think since we're, uh, since we, you know, we're a teaching facility, we, we, with that kind of thing, we don't get quite as advanced all the time because we're, we're sort of sticking in the rooms. What we're finding that our biggest key with going room to room is one of the one of the things that we did over the summer was you know going building to building mm -hmm. um we've got um our curb event center which um four times a year our students do um a big concert showcase concerts and it's fully belmont student produced and you know they have a live mix in there and and you know a real teaching example for us is to say okay well let's pipe this stuff via fiber over to our johnson center and put some students up in the mix room on the fourth floor and let them put a studio mix together for this. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say that that was another real eye-opener for me is, is, again, that was all part of our plan with RedNet and Dante was to be able to go inner building. And of course, at some point, we hope to go down the row to Ocean Way as well. Um, but I gotta tell you that what was so great about that was literally we went over to the curb event center i brought i mean i tempted this thing there it was like first ron just figure out if we can how we can do this and you know at a university and any big facility i've got to work with our networking department network services who were great but you know i can't just jump on their fiber and their their infrastructure without you know mapping that stuff out so once we got the clearance and knew where we needed to connect and all that stuff i literally had um you know the 48 channels going up to there uh, aside from the meetings and the uh, the the actual physical connections, it was literally like 30 minutes later we had you know that that live production going up to our mix room, and without any hitch, it was just like you, and you just kind of sit there and you're like, holy cow, that was easy, and it blows people away to see that happen. Like you know our chair of the uh, audio engineering department, you just see him, Michael Janis, who's great. And he knew it was possible. But when you first show somebody that that's happening, and they're like, it just kind of blows their mind. You're like, and in your, the back of my mind is the tech. I'm like, it was super easy, <laughs> you know. And that's the best. That's what we want, you know. It's to knock it out of the park. It to be easy, and then to get people impressed by it. It's a win-win for everybody. So that's what happened. That's that's our biggest yeah. thing going room to room, you know. It starts off of ease of installation, the ability to scale from more traditional formats to immersive formats, but in the end, 
it's all about space utilization. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and again, that's what makes that value of the product so big for us that, you know, when we know we can put systems in and it's not just a room, it's now can be connected anywhere that we have the gear. And and it's just amazing. As a matter of fact, we one other thing that was really kind of cool about that, since we sort of rogued that together for the test, we took the video feed from the... Uh, the uh, program feed from the video from the showcase and just fibered it over some just basically extenders over to the building just so we could see a kind of picture of what was going on. We knew, you know, we knew what was happening because, of course, our mix room has a full projection system. And uh, we, uh, we, were, we were like a frame or two off on the audio. Like, and there was no sync between the two or nothing. It was just, we were just like, whoa. It's like, you know, just like for reference, and there it was. You know, it was like, Super cool. It's interesting you say that. We hear this from other universities that it then gives you the capability because they're quite expensive and the parents pay a lot of money to send the kids to these schools. So it's being able to take performances from anywhere within the educational facility and be able to put them over a network and then deliver them to the people that are in the end paying the bills, which <laughs> is the parents, right? So right. your whole capabilities then. Yeah, and that's that's of course our end game with that is is to be able to stream that stuff out with a good you know studio yeah. mix and yeah, yeah. and then parents that aren't around can watch it or you know fans because again we're blessed in Nashville you know a lot of these guys that are in these showcase events the artists they're going to be some of the next big things coming out of our area too so yeah. it's it's amazing. As we now move into the section of questions, a member of the audience who did not quite have a microphone in his hand yet asked. How is teaching signal flow vastly different over a system with Ethernet cables as patch cords versus TT cables? No, that's a great question. And, and um, you know, I'm a staff member, so I'm not part of the faculty other than I do adjunct a class that we did put in um, as part of our sound for picture class. I do like a little lab that is uh, uh, called Networked Audio. And I kind of go in, you know, you got to start with that i i've got to start with like networking 101 on day one you know it's like so we've got to go from the it side sort of so i teach them just what a computer network is first yeah. and then um you know and that's what's so cool is once you sort of grasp those concepts and what ip addresses are and static manual dhcp all that stuff you, you sort of get that basic framework and that's what i do in a few classes teach them about you know gigabit versus old stuff you know making sure you're on the proper right. speeds and all that and once they see that, then it's sort of cool and easy because it's really just a big grid. And the grid is just determined by the, the size of your system. And, and, and the nice thing is, is a lot of the people in my class have been through audio engineering programs, so they, they start to see how that correlates, right? With a, I just tell them it's a big digital patch bay now, you know, and we're just, we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna make mouse clicks instead of TT connections. And that's when they see it. I, I think it's just the, the work on the forefront of getting them familiar with network signal flow as opposed to the audio stuff and then they realize well i can bolt i can do things really easy with a mouse click instead of you know other traditional patching ways um and then the the other other one was instead of uh monitor control basically and not in the atmos systems but what are you guys using for like speaker control on a smaller level like 5.1 or stereo um well since in those rooms we've got s6 and s5 um, those shipped with xmons which is avid's monitor controller and then it's connected to the console um via connection there so so we're kind of going with that traditional way at this point 
Sorry, we ran out of time here. We want to thank uh, Ron for joining us today. Uh, also, uh, thank you to Sony Pictures. I want to thank Tom Kenny of Mix Magazine, Future PLC, and uh, our good friends at Audinate for sharing this room with us. Um, and most of all, you guys for joining us. So thank you very much. Uh, thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focus Right Pro podcast. This podcast is produced by me, Dan Hughley, for Focus Right. Music is by Simon Poulton. If you want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at Focus Right Pro. For more information, please visit our website at pro.focusright.com. <laughs>